Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> God is doing a lot of incredible things in our church, and it's easy to get discouraged and not see that sometimes. Uh, Wednesday morning, we do a Wednesday, we do a, a morning devotion on Facebook, so it's on Park Church's Facebook page, and uh, Pastor Joe does two of the days. I think he still does Monday and Friday. Um, I believe he's doing both those still. Uh, Brandon does Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock. I do Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock. And, and Melody does Thursday morning at 8 a.m. And our Devo for this last Wednesday was from Luke 9, and it was where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, I believe, <clears throat> And he, he says to them, he says, they're talking about the apostle, John, about John the Baptist. And he's questioning, who did you expect to go out and see? You know, a broken reed, you know, and so on and so on. But then he says something. He says, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. You know, sometimes we get so set in this is what God is doing in my life and if everyone else's life doesn't look just like mine, if God isn't working the same way in everyone else as he's working in mine, well then God isn't working in their life at all. And when we get that mindset, it's easy to lose sight of all that God is doing in our church and in our area. And today we have two people who are going to share with us because God is doing some awesome things through this church. And that's why I know every week that I've been up here for the last quite a few times, somebody has come up and they've shared something that God is doing in their life. God is doing a lot of stuff in this church. So Britta is going to come up here first and she's going to share what God has been doing um, in her and, and in this church through the ministry she's a part of. And I'm going to pray over Britta because this is Britta's favorite thing to do is stand up here and talk to, to a group of people. So I'm going to pray for Britta that she doesn't puke. And, uh, <laughs> but this is the splash zone, so first two rows. <laughs> so, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for Britta. I thank you for her willingness to come up here and share. Lord, I pray that you would pour your spirit out on her, that you would give her a peace and a calm during this time, and that mostly you would give her a boldness to just speak all that you're doing in her life, Father. Lord, I know that you show up every morning because I have the same fear, but you show up every morning, Lord, and I pray that you would show up for her the same way you do for me right now. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so. Hello. Um, yeah, this is my favorite thing to do, right? <laughs> but um, I just love this church, and I love just everything that's going on in this place. This is why I can't get up here, because I cry, and I'm emotional. But anyway, um, I'm here to come up here to talk to you about our um, newsletter and um, is available. And we want you guys to grab um, it on the way out. It's located just scattered throughout the gallery. And um, our newsletter is called Together. Together was um, a word that was really just that kept coming up to us uh, more and more this year. And we just... Um, decided that we needed to call it together. And together, we want to celebrate all that God is doing within the lives of 
his church. And so we have put together this newsletter and we have testimonies in it. We have upcoming events, resources that have been encouraging to staff and a daily prayer calendar. And um, we put together a daily prayer calendar that is outlined and has specific prayers for the day. Um, and we just want to have you guys join us in prayer. And today's prayer is, oh, sorry. Uh, praise God for the gifts he gives his people and pray for the ways to use your gift. And um, each day there's different prayers and we just encourage you guys to join us with that. We're going to put those on uh, Facebook and have them available so that we can be reminded of what to pray for and that we can be praying together and encouraging others to pray alongside of us. Um, if you guys have any prayer suggestions that you want to um, have us add into our prayer calendar, let us know. If you have testimonies that you would like to share, we would love to add them in here because we want to celebrate all that God is doing through the lives of his church. And um, I want to invite up a special friend <laughs> that is just as excited about coming up here as I am. And she has shared a little bit of her testimony in the newsletter as well. And um, I'm going to invite Casey Dubois to come up, and she's going to share what God is doing in her life. And I'm going to pray for her, and I'm going to also pray um, for the prayer of the day. Hi, guys. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you, God, so much for today, and thank you for your church. Thank you for all the ways you work, like Tom was talking about. Thank you for all the ways that you work in the lives, and you put different things on our hearts. And um, we are called to use our gifts, and uh, we just pray, Heavenly Father, that you would encourage us today and um, let us be confident in trusting you to do your work. Lord Jesus, we love you, and I just pray a blessing over Casey and Maverick and Emerson and Jason, who's not here, and just thank you for them and sharing their hearts in this place. We love them so much, and bless uh, Casey as she shares today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. Yes. Are you staying or going? You want to come down with me? You want to go with Britta? Hi. So... Um, one of the ways that God's been working in our lives is through homeschool. So um, when Maverick was born, we just kind of always knew that that was something that was on our hearts, that um, we wanted God to be a big part of his, hi, sweet boy, um, a big part of his schooling. And unfortunately, that's not always something that happens in public school. So one day, out of the blue, sort of just kind of came up about homeschooling, and Katie had, Katie, Kaylee had offered um, to let us use the gym and to bring some of our friends. And quickly, that turned into a giant homeschool club. So about nine months ago, it went from, like, me and two other moms hanging out with our kids to well over 100 families. I think that there's, like, 150 in our little club now. Um, so. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so now we get together um, weekly, at least. Um, just sometimes it's just fun stuff to use the scooters or whatever, and sometimes we're meeting at places like the observatory in Frewsburg or um, the alpaca farm in, in Bemis and just kind of like learning through each other and through that. So one of the great things, though, is that even though the large majority of us are all Christian in the group, we have um, not made our group specifically 
um, like religious. So we have had a whole bunch, of, we're just walking this way, a whole bunch of um, kids who had never either been in a church or had um, attended, have now attended VBS or they have started going to youth group. So, um, ah! so we have really been able to like silent ministry through so many families um, who have either now started coming here or have a lot of them have started going to the rock. So it's amazing how this little homeschool group has now created a whole bunch of, of followers. So that's that. And there's a whole write-up in it of it in the newsletter. And so if you have any questions or that's something that maybe God has placed on your heart. Um, <laughs> I know we're not going to play the piano right now. Um, you're more than welcome to reach out. We have kids as little as Emerson up until like high school kids, um, a bunch of well-seasoned homeschool parents who have already have kids in college that they've homeschooled throughout or, I mean, I don't know, she might play music. We'll see what happens. Um, be careful. Or a whole bunch of new ones. So either way, if you had <laughs> um, any questions with that, there's my phone number and everything is in there. Um, but we'd be happy to have you if you if that was something that was on your heart or that you would like to help in some kind of way. So there it is. <laughs> Casey, thank you. No, say thank you. <laughs> it is uh, such a blessing to have all the kids that we have in this service as well. Um, and Casey's group, when they come here, she's, she's not kidding. It's a big group that is here usually like once a week. And uh, staff, we get to see them in and out. And they are just doing some incredible work. <clears throat> so this week was uh, kind of warm, right? So how many of you, you like the weather when it gets over 80 degrees, you know, you're just, you're in your sweet spot. That's, that's happy there's a few crazies in our church. All right, all right. <laughs> we live in western New York for a reason, people, all right? <laughs> 67 to 73, and that's the sweet spot right there. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so this week as we were kind of roasting in, in the house and, and our car, which by the way, our air conditioner went out in the car as well. So drives were pretty warm too. So we're praying for Wednesday to get it fixed. Um, but in the house, we have an air conditioner in the, the dining, not the dining room, the kitchen. Uh, the kitchen has a little, like, dining, little kitchen table, a little kitchen area, and what we call the family room. And we have an air conditioner on that side of the house. It works okay there because we can shut the door between the kitchen and the dining room. kind of keeps the cool air, so it cools things down a little bit. The thing is, on the opposite side of the house is where there's a nice big empty room um, that the kids like to play in. <laughs> so, and the playroom is on the opposite side of the house as well. And we really have one window that is suitable for an air conditioner. So it's there. So when I want to feel that cool air, I want some reprieve from that, you know, 80, 90 degree heat that some of you like, I go into that room and I get closer to the air conditioner. And the farther away I get from that air conditioner, 
the less I feel the cool air, the more uncomfortable it becomes. And this is much like our relationship with God. The closer we get to God, the more we sense his presence, the more we see him at work, we feel him in our lives. But when we start to move away from God, things start to get more and more uncomfortable. You see, the air conditioner in our house doesn't move. We move. God doesn't move. God is always there. We move. And today we're going to talk about the book of Hosea. Because Israel, in our passage today, they chose to kind of walk away from the air conditioner, to walk away from God. But it wasn't God who moved from his people. It was his people who were moving away from him. So if you would open up with me to Hosea 1, we're going to read verses 2 through 10. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel. Because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Loruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and that we now have the opportunity to spend some time getting to know you and hopefully getting to know ourselves as well. Father, I pray that you would pour your spirit out on us, that you would reveal to us the message you have for us today, that you would give us ears to hear the message you have and a heart to receive that message and to act accordingly, Father. Lord, do a mighty work in this church today and let each one of us leave here a little closer to you. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Apologize.
So overall, <clears throat> the book of Hosea is a beautiful story of God's love for his people and the mercy that he shows to his people. You see, God is going to use Hosea's life to show his people in Israel what God's love is like for them. Hosea was told to marry a prostitute, but not only to marry this prostitute, but actually to love and take care of her. Even though she would be unfaithful to him, God says, love and take care of her. Because God's going to use his life as an example of the way he is loving and taking care of his people, Israel, even though they too are prostituting themselves to other gods. So it really is a beautiful story of how God is continuing to open, continually open to receiving his people back and even continually calling his people back. God loves us. And he wants us in relationship with him. God loves you and wants you in a relationship with him. But there's also a warning in this passage to Israel. And there's also a warning in this passage to us today. Normally, Pastor Joe and Pastor Brandon and myself and Melody, we get together and we all prepare our sermons together. But I'm the only one sharing this message on Hosea today because uh, Park Church is having their outdoor service and uh, Melody's been at uh, fair all week, so she's, I think, doing a different one in DeWittville. So I kind of got to do this one all on my own, making the outline. So I prayed a lot about it. As I was praying about this passage, God kept bringing things out to me. He kept revealing to me something about these names. There's a significance to Jezreel. There's a significance to Lo Ruhamah. There's a significance to Lo Ami. More than what's on the surface where God says, you are not my people for Lo Ami. So I decided that that was what we were going to focus on today. And I wasn't disappointed in my studies. God does have something significant for us today through these names. So the first child of Hosea and Gomer is Jezreel. Jezreel, literally the meaning of Jezreel is God sows. But what God is talking about in this passage, he's talking about there's going to be judgment for what happened in the valley of Jezreel and in the city of Jezreel. Now, Jezreel was this incredible place. There's archaeologists. I looked up some um, information about Jezreel, the valley, and as people are digging, they're talking about the the valley they're in, and they're saying that the, the sights are breathtaking from where they were looking out over this valley. God created this Eden-like um, place. God had sown something beautiful in this valley. The city of Jezreel was a a main fortress for the kingdom of Israel where they would defend their country. God had created, he had sown something beautiful in the promised land. Unfortunately, the kings of Israel were sowing as well. 
but they were sowing their own fate as they continued to walk away from God. And some horrible things happen in Jezreel. So the first thing that happens at Jezreel, and this goes all the way back, God says you will be punished for the massacre that happened at Jezreel, but that massacre really takes place even earlier with King Ahab. So I'm going to read to you 1 Kings 21, and I'm going to kind of ad-lib this. It's 1 through 21. I'm going to read bits out of uh, the message. So what happened in, in, in Jezreel, one day Ahab was speaking to Naboth. Now Naboth owned this beautiful vineyard, and it was right next to the castle. So Ahab wants this vineyard. He's like, it's right next to my kitchen. It'll make a great kitchen garden for us. Can I have this garden from you? I will give you a better um, or vineyard, I'm sorry, vineyard. Or if you prefer, I'll, I'll pay you lots of money for this vineyard. But Naboth says, no, there is no way I am selling my family's vineyard to the likes of you. Ahab doesn't like this answer. So Ahab does what you would expect any king to do. Runs to his room, jumps on his bed, sticks his face in his pillow, and starts to whine and throw a temper tantrum. So as he's sitting there sulking, his, his wife, Queen Jezebel, sees him and says, what, what is going on? And so he tells her what has happened. And she's like, for crying out loud, you're the king. This isn't the way a king behaves. Get up, eat, drink, do whatever. I'm going to take care of this for you. You know, Ahab knows what that means, okay? So, so I know that sometimes we like to make excuses. We like to pout and whine, do what it takes to get our way, and then we kind of blame the other person. Well, they're the ones who actually did it. You've probably seen this with your kids, right? I won't say which of my children convinces the other one to do things they shouldn't do, but then look, it's all on them, right? Ahab is responsible for what is about to happen, Jezebel takes some pieces of paper that have Ahab's signature on them. She writes letters to some of the leaders of the city of, in Jezreel and says, have a big banquet, have a feast, sit Naboth at that table, kind of honor him, but have some people across from him who are disreputable and have them make claims about him that he is doing something blasphemous. So that's what happens. They, the leaders of the city follow through on that and eventually Naboth is stoned for blasphemy because he's been accused of blasphemy and accused of doing things he shouldn't be doing. So once Naboth is dead, Jezebel goes back to King Ahab and says, there it is. Naboth's dead. The vineyard's yours. Go take it. So Ahab does. Now, Ahab wasn't the best king to begin with. Ahab had followed the ways of his fathers, the kings of Israel before him. He was still doing wicked things. But God sends a prophet now and says, you know, all these things now, murder and theft. And he says this to Ahab. He doesn't go to Jezebel. Ahab was just as responsible for what happened Murder and theft, this is what your punishment is going to be. And ultimately, he tells Ahab and Jezebel that both of them will die in Jezreel, that the dogs will lick the blood from Ahab, and uh, 
the, Je- the Jezebel, I believe it says, the dogs will leave nothing behind. So that is the beginning of uh, the curse or the prophecy that God says this is what's going to happen because of what you've done. So now we skip to 2 Kings 9. Ahab kind of repents, so God says, okay. Well, he repents. God says, okay, you know, I won't do this. I won't take the kingdom away in your lifetime, but it's going to be taken away. So in 2 Kings 9, there's another prophecy that will come against the line of Ahab, or that prophecy against the line of Ahab will be carried out. Jehu, who will become king, is told by one of Elijah's prophets that he will be made king. And he's given the orders to attack the house of Ahab and that everyone from the house of Ahab is to be killed. They're to be put to death. This was God's judgment on the house. Jehu, and that Jehu will then be made king. So Jehu is all for this. All right, I get to be king. I will do what what the Lord says. He has people around him who come behind him. But Jehu gets a little bloodthirst going. And he doesn't stop at the house of Ahab. He kills the king of Judah. He'll go on to kill all the prophets of Baal. And he will kill any all the princes of the area. He will kill anybody that may stand in his way of taking on that mantle of king. Instead of doing just what he was told and trusting that God would do what he said, Jehu starts to go above and beyond and just kill everybody. So Jehu becomes king, but there will be a judgment on him for this as well. And that's what we're seeing in Hosea. That's the massacre that Hosea is, that God is talking to Hosea about. So there's a lot of stuff right there. So Jehu does what he's supposed to do. He goes above and beyond, but he doesn't end the idol worship in Israel as well. So they had been worshiping idols. So there's a lot of stuff in those two stories, a lot of things, a lot of ways people walked away from the air conditioner, right? A lot of ways that they walked away from God. The sin of Ahab began when he took a non-believer as his wife. We are, even today, you know, do we date and marry people with whom we are not equally yoked? The Bible's very clear of what we're to be looking for in a spouse if we are followers of Christ. Ahab took somebody who worships idols from another country and made her his wife, and she led that country astray. Very seldomly, when we're in a relationship with somebody who is not a believer, are we going to pull them with us? Occasionally it's happened, but the majority of the time is that we get pulled away. There's a reason why God says to be equally yoked. Second, Ahab decides he wants something that doesn't belong to him. Again, that idol that we talked about last week or two weeks ago of me, me, me. It's all about what I want. Ahab was worshiping that idol. And that idol led him to murder and theft. And that led to that judgment of God on Ahab. Which leads, because we're looking at the big picture of Israel here, which leads to the story of Jehu. Jehu wasn't faithful to what he was called to do. Faithful, Jehu didn't trust God to fulfill his promise. He decided instead he was going to do it his way. 
He'd become king his way. And by this point, the people of God were so far gone that even though the prophet of God had told Jehu he would be made king, and Jehu is made king, it doesn't matter. They still worship idols. Now, they killed Jezebel. They uh, fulfilled that prophecy. And they got rid of the prophets of Baal. But they still left up the golden calves in the temples in in, uh, Israel. They still continue to worship idols. So you see, ultimately, this is what Hosea's three children are. They are Israel's path away from God. Jezreel was the decisions that Israel had made, the acts that she had committed, all the things we just talked about, the way Israel was living. And because they continued to walk away from God, the second child born is the second step. Because la ruhama means no mercy or without mercy. And you see, without God's mercy, our hearts become hardened. If it weren't for the mercy of God, we wouldn't ask forgiveness when we sin. If it weren't for the mercy of God, when we do ask forgiveness, it wouldn't make any difference. God keeps our hearts tender as we continue to seek him and love him and do as he is calling us to do. But as we continue to walk away, our hearts, like Israel's, will become hardened. Romans 1, 18-25 says this, Man's heart was becoming hard, as uh, Paul writes this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be made, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Man's heart had become hard. Now furthermore, God will go on to say in that passage in Romans 1 that uh, they were given over to shameful lust because their hearts were hardened. They were given over to depraved minds because their hearts were hardened. They were allowed to become filled with every kind of wickedness because their hearts were hardened. God gave them over to these things. He allowed their hearts to be hardened because of the choices that they made over and over and over again. The more we choose to sin, the easier it is to not even see it. Our hearts become hardened. Without God's mercy, the people's hearts were hardened. Without God's mercy our hearts will be hardened. And eventually, as we keep on sinning, God will still say to us today, lo ruhama, 
He will call us Loruhama, because our hearts today can still become hardened. So I wanted to talk real quick about some of the warning signs. How do we know if our hearts are becoming hardened? As I was studying this, I found some stuff from Dr. Pam Morrison, who used to be a pastor with the um, UMC in Kansas. Now she's in prison ministry and working with uh, rehab um, people. But she says number one of the seven warning signs was a lack of ability to remember what God has done. As our hearts become hardened, we start to forget what God has done in the past. We start to forget all the blessings that we have. We start to forget that he's the one who has brought us through the difficult times. The disciples in Mark chapter 8, Jesus accuses them of having a hard heart. Because in Mark 8, 14 through 21, uh, the disciples and Jesus are traveling and the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had had with them on the boat. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts talking to them and he says, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now the disciples think that he's criticizing them. So they discuss with this with one another and say, is it because we brought no bread that he's talking about yeast? But aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? The disciples were still a little hardened. They still didn't truly know Christ or trust Christ. He wasn't talking about the bread. As our hearts become hardened, we begin to forget all the blessings in our life. We forget all that God has done for us. We forget all the times that he has helped us through our trials. So the first step is that lack of ability to remember what God has done. Second, we become insensitive to sin. The more we compromise, the easier it becomes to do what we know we shouldn't do. This is a a silly story, so this isn't real deep. (laughs) But when I was working at quality markets, that's when I became a Christian. So I was working there, And one of the things that we hated to do was face the shelves. Now, if you've never worked in a store, facing the shelves is moving all the product up and making it look like it's full. It's basically lying to the customers. So we're going to make it look like our shelves are full. But we were supposed to double face so that if you took one down, there was still another layer, layer behind. And when I accepted Christ as my Savior, God really turned my life around 180 degrees So I started going to work with a different attitude. I'm not here just to get a paycheck. I'm here to glorify God as well. So I need to be doing my job the way I'm told to do my job. So for quite a while, I started double-facing that shelf, and it took me a long time, but I would double-face everything. And then one night, I single-faced. 
I just was tired and I just pulled it all up real quick and I was convicted and I had to go back and redo my whole section, not because anyone else saw it, but because at that point my heart was softened and I didn't want to do something that was displeasing to God, so I fixed the whole section. The problem is, over the years, it got easier and easier to single-face the shelf. It's the way it is with sin for us. The more we do it, the more insensitive we come to it, the easier it is for us to compromise. Do little things that, okay, I can justify it if I really, you know, maneuver this way. If you have to do emotional acrobatics in order to convince yourself that doing something is right, it's probably not. But we become very insensitive to sins as our heart becomes hardened. And then we fail to follow God's commands. More and more, we just start doing less and less of what we're called to do, and we slip deeper and deeper down that hill. And once we become, once we begin to uh, fail to follow those other commands that we're supposed to, we just start failing in other areas as well. And not only do we start failing more and in different areas, we become arrogant and prideful about it. And we stop saying that our sin is sin at all. This isn't sin This is what God wants me to do. Well, all through his word, he says it's not what he wants you to do. But it becomes about us. And in our arrogance, we think we know more than the word of God. And we become prideful about that fact. And once we are prideful about our sins that we're committing, we are easily offended. It becomes easy to offend us because when somebody comes up and tries to point out our sin, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it anymore. So now we're offended that you would even bring that up to me. You live your life, I'll live mine. That's fine. But we're just trying to tell you what the word of God says and that there's consequences for these sins, but we don't want to hear it anymore. And because we don't want to hear it anymore, we also don't want to know what the Word of God says, so we become indifferent to his word. There was a term in psychology that was uh, cognitive dissidence. When our thinking doesn't match our reality, I may screw this up a little bit if you're a psychology person. (laughs) Forgive me for this. Show me mercy. We have to kind of make it match somehow in our mind. And we can't make the word of God match our sinful behavior. No matter how hard we try, they won't match. So we have to do something to create an equilibrium within our head for why it's okay that I'm living the way I'm living. So we become indifferent to the word of God. We don't care what the word of God says. Or we start saying it's not really the word of God It's just a book written by men thousands of years ago, and it really means nothing. It's just, or like uh, in Pirates of the Caribbean with the code, it's, it's just a suggestion, right? But we become indifferent to the word of God. And when this is no longer the word of God, the seventh step of a hardened heart is unbelief. We just completely draw away from God. 
Because like I've told you many, many times, if this is not the word of God, then I am wasting my time on Sunday mornings. I would rather sleep in. I'd rather go to the Bills game and, you know, do the tailgating before the game and then just watch the game. There's lots of things I would rather do on Sunday mornings than get myself and us getting three children ready to be here at 8 o'clock. If this is not the word of God, then I am wasting my time. And that's what people will begin to believe as they recognize that, uh, or as they begin to think that they're becoming different to the word of God. And that is our path away from God. That is the hardening of our hearts. If you are right now in any one of those stages, perhaps your heart is becoming hardened. And I hope that you will recognize that today. Because as we draw away from God, we cease to be his people. And not necessarily because he disowns us, but because we have chosen to walk away. We have chosen to not be his people anymore. We become Loemi the third child of Hosea, not my people. You see, they cease to be God's people by their own choice, so God lets them walk away. Their hearts were hardened to the point that God says, you are no longer people, my people, and he allows them to feel the separation from God that comes along with that as they will be exiled, conquered by Assyria, and exiled. And I know we like to believe that no matter how far we walk away, we are okay that God loves us wherever we're at, and he does. But the time comes when God says, Lo, Ami, you are no longer living as my people, and there's consequences to that. Because we, at that point, have abandoned him. We have walked to the other side of the house, away from the air conditioner. But there's good news. There is still hope. There is good news because Hosea's name means God delivers. It's deliverer. Verse 10 of our passage even tells the Israelites, even though all these things, you will still be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. When it goes on to say, In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Once again, they will become his people. He knows that they will turn back to him eventually. The last chapter of Hosea is all about that promise, that his people will turn back to him. And in 1 Peter 2.10, Peter, I think, talking about this passage, goes backwards for us as believers. Lo-emi, is the last child. But Peter in 1 Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people, once you were lo me, but now you are a me, you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, once you had not lo ruhamah, but now you have received Mercy, he's talking to the believers. Once their hearts had been hardened, but their hearts as believers were being softened again. Oh, how beautiful is the word of God. What hope there is in these pages. 
that no matter how far we have strayed, we can always turn back to him. God can take away our heart of stone and replace it again with a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26, um, God says that I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God wants to take our hardened hearts and soften them again, give us a heart of flesh again. He is calling us to that As I've begun journaling recently, I have a few different journals for different things. And in the beginning of each of them is Psalm 51. I've written it out. Always marked in my Bible is Psalm 51. I don't want my heart to be hardened. So the passage, the psalm I always want to go through is have, a, is have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and wash away my iniquities. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Then create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I don't ever want my heart to become hardened to the point where I don't recognize the sin in my own life or even worse, try to justify that. We have the opportunity still to turn back to God. If we are not feeling the cool air from that air conditioner, we can walk back to him. There is a path, though, that we walk that leads us away from God. But it's not too late. God still delivers. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father, I know that in this room right now there are hardened hearts. At the very least, hearts that are becoming hard. Maybe they're not all the way through those seven steps, but they're on that path, Lord. Father God, I pray that you would reveal this to these people today, that those who need to hear this message would hear their need for you, Father, that they would hear their need to repent, to turn away from their sins, to come back to you, Lord, that no longer will they be lo ami, no longer will they be lo ruhama, but that they will be your people and that we will have your mercy, Father. Oh, Lord, do a work in this church today. Give us hearts of flesh throughout this church. 
that we will cry tears of joy when we see you working in our community because we are so close to you and so sensitive to what you are doing. Father, make us like you today. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.